Hello and welcome to another episode of the Daily Remedy Podcast. Today we're here with Dr. Jane Orient of the AAPS, Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, a nonpartisan professional association of physicians that encompass all practices and specialties throughout the country. In 1943, AAPS has been dedicated to the highest ethical standards, upholding the oath of hypocrisies and preserving the sanctity of the patient-physician relationship. And with that, I'd like to welcome Dr. Orient. Thank you, Josh. I just gave a quick introduction about AAPS, but in your own words, can you describe AAPS and the role it serves in protecting the patient-physician? Well, it was founded to preserve traditional medical ethics, which has become more and more important because the oath of Hippocrates is being is really being obliterated in most places, especially the idea of doing no harm and of putting the patient first instead of focusing on the bottom line of the third-party payer, whether that's an insurance company or big government and or it's some societal objective that somebody somebody thinks up, like protecting the planet or bringing about social equity, whatever that means. It means whatever they, they say it does, even if it means sacrificing the well-being of the person that you're looking at who is depending on you to try to help him. How does AAPS impart its uh, influence? Uh, I know you guys take uh, an approach on certain legal cases, and you guys also support advocacy. Talk a little bit about how you guys try to exert your views and protect the patient and the physician. Well, partly we, we try to educate physicians so that they don't feel so alone because so many of them are under a lot of pressure. We defend individuals who are being attacked by medical boards, by um, their employers, uh, hospitals, particularly hospital administrations, who are making it very, very difficult to defend your patients if that goes against the, the desires of the administration. So we have a limited legal consultation service we have a committee to combat sham peer review that many physicians have benefited from. We file lawsuits. We file amicus briefs in many cases. I think we probably deserve a lot of credit for stopping Clinton care, which is even worse than Obamacare because essentially that would have made it a crime to practice individual medicine, you know, to pay a physician outside the system. There's a big emphasis on the individual physician and protecting physician autonomy at AAPS. Can you talk at a high level some of the pressures that come from third parties, whether that's payer systems or government entities, and how that affects patient care? Well, the most current, most current example, of course, is with the COVID epidemic. Yeah. When coming from on high, probably under tremendous influence from, from big pharma, which controls the FDA and the CDC and academia and organized medicine, physicians were being basically told that there's nothing you can do for patients with COVID except send them home, tell them to isolate. If they go to the hospital because they can't breathe, ventilate them, probably prematurely in many cases, give them a very dangerous drug, remdesivir, do not give them any information about the need to 
make sure their vitamin D levels are are adequate. Do not use any off-label treatment. They know the use of long FDA-approved drugs to try to relieve people, and many doctors have treated thousands of patients with excellent results with hydroxychloroquine, with ivermectin, with steroids, with other anti-inflammatory medications, with uh, nutraceuticals, and have had really far, far better results than hospitals have had. And yet, many of them have been threatened by their medical boards. Occasionally, they've even been delicensed. The hospitals have denied patients who were near death the chance to try any of these um, any of these things that physicians have found successful and they fight they fight in courts even if the, the patient managed to get something like ivermectin because of a decision made at the trial court level and recovered and went home they will appeal and appeal because they do not want to have their authority to dictate patient care diminished. They do not want the courts to have any ability to to uh, protect the patient's right to get the care of his choice from the physician of his choice. You guys have taken a very active role in COVID as well as in the opioid epidemic as well. Uh, talk about the initiatives AAPS has excessive regulatory enforcement or misundertaken to protect both physicians and patients from government encroachment as it pertains to the opioid crisis, whether that's added beliefs at the federal level from the DEA and DOJ? Well, the opioid crisis has certainly been very much in the news. Right now we have so many overdoses from fentanyl in particular that it is really, really shocking. And... The government has has taken the position that this is likely the doctor's fault. And there have been more than 2,000 physicians who have been served time in prison because they were prescribing for patients who were in pain. For a while, you know, they were taught, well, pain is almost like another vital sign. You need to treat pain adequately with opioids. And so physicians were doing that in good faith. They were not acting like drug dealers. If they wanted to make a lot of money, they could have sold heroin on the street or fentanyl on the street and probably gotten away with it. But instead, they were they were provi- providing treatment for pain patients. And they were being blamed for, for this rash of deaths. I mean, very, very few of the deaths were actually caused by medication that was taken as prescribed. There were maybe some patients who were diverting their medications, but, I mean, most of the deaths are coming from illicit drugs. Sometimes the the patient might also have taken a prescribed drug, and the death would be blamed on that. And then the doctor would be blamed. The doctors would be set up by undercover agents who would lie about their situation or even if the doctor refused to prescribe the drug to that patient because that fake patient, the doctor might still be imprisoned. I mean, some of them are serving decades in prison. Their life was utterly destroyed. And then the government has dreamed up all these other other things too, like the, the, um, 
the PMDP, the, 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 the drug database, prescription drug database. And we are supposed to consult this database each and every time we write a prescription in order to find out whether the patient might be doctor shopping, getting a prescription from somebody else. Well, at this point, it is so threatening to prescribe an, a controlled substance that I just don't do it ever. In fact, I really can't right now because you have to s submit only electronic prescriptions and I have a very old-fashioned office that's not set up to do that. I still have to I still have to get into that database. Seems like once a week, maybe it's only once a month and maybe update my password frequently um, just because it's there. But we even have heard of cases of physicians who did not prescribe opioids, but who went to prison because there were fake reports in the, in the database. And the doctor was convicted of prescribing inappropriately something he'd never even prescribed for a patient he never even saw. And bringing in these things has done absolutely nothing to reduce the number of overdoses. Because most let's, of the um, overdoses are coming from street drugs. Exactly. Let's stop right there and delve into that a little bit further. I think that's a very important. For most of the public, for most of the people who may not understand the unintended or intended consequences of this database, the PDMP, they would assume that it's a good thing to keep track of the prescriber database, to keep record of who is prescribing what to whom. But... It's creating these complications, complications, if you will, in quotations. Talk about the harm that this database is creating and break it down as simply as possible for those who may not understand why a database can cause so much harm. Well, for one thing, it is a cost, not just in terms of the equipment to set it up, but in terms of the doctor's time. It discourages physicians from ever wanting to prescribe opioids, and many, many physicians just will not prescribe. So the pain patients who can, you know, either live a, a, nor, a fairly normal life, be able to work and be productive if they get adequate pain relief, are just not getting it. They may be said forced to go to a specially um, certified pain management clinic, but there aren't enough of them to do this. They may be very expensive. The patients may be in the position of having to have all kinds of expensive drug testing and contracts. If they violate that contract, it doesn't matter how much pain they really are in. They can't get anyone to prescribe for them. And a lot of them are, are just abandoned by the medical profession because of all of these completely ineffective efforts to restrain the street drugs. I mean, it's much easier probably to import some fentanyl across the border. It was made in China, brought across the border by Mexican drug cartels, given to children on the street or in school. It may be far, far easier for a drug to come across that way. And the the cartels are getting away with it. The drug kingpins almost never go to prison. The people who are in prison are the physicians who were only trying to help their patient. 
And so a lot of physicians are saying, it's not worth it. Why am I going to risk my very life, my liberty, my profession to prescribe this drug? It, it's just not. Uh, it's it's just not worth it. You can't be sure that you're abiding by their rules. They keep changing them all the time. There's a big hassle to do it. Um, can no longer just write a prescription and ch and check with your patient to see how he's doing. You have to have all of these unseen people who are, have no responsibility whatsoever looking over your shoulder and looking for a slightest slip-up as an opportunity to destroy your life. So, so let's look at that a little bit further. Who are the eyeballs that are monitoring this database? We know that there are state regulatory boards and we know that the DEA is looking at this. What happens when they find something that's concerning and why are they often mistaken in what they think is concerning behavior? Why do they keep getting it wrong? I think because they, you, know, you get notches on your belt if you put a doctor out of practice or put him in prison. So I think that there are prosecutors who are out looking for an opportunity to do this. And they may come into your office with their guns drawn, even pointing them at your children, terrifying the patients, taking your computers and all of your medical records, and trying to find some reason why a prescription that you wrote does not does not meet their their qualifications. You know, patients are all different. Some of them need more medicine than others. There may be physicians who prescribe too much, maybe that was bad judgment. But really, who who are these people who have no responsibility for the patient to be able to decide that and to turn it into a criminal offense when possibly it was just a matter of, of being bad judgment? Or why do they go after the person who's the number one opioid prescriber? Maybe because he's the only doctor who will see patients. And as soon as you get rid of number one prescriber, then the number two prescriber becomes the number one prescriber. And, I mean, there's no evidence whatsoever that the amount of drugs being trafficked or the number of patients who are dying of overdose has been affected in the slightest by having all of these uh, controls in place. What is AAPS doing to stop this? What legal actions or advocacy has AAPS done to help curtail against government misguided efforts? I, th I think some of our members have fought against enactment of the legislation on state levels, but I think that all of the states have capitulated by now. Uh, we do file lawsuits which have a really big uphill battle. We have filed, filed amicus briefs for physicians who have been prosecuted. There's one who has been in prison, I think it's like a 20-year sentence, and he got a nine to zero decision in his favor from the US Supreme Court saying that you really can't prosecute a doctor without proving that he had an intention to do wrong. And this doctor did not have the opportunity to defend himself. The jury instructions did not include th that they had to consider whether the doctor was prescribing in good faith or not. So he got a you know a nine to zero, which is almost un unheard of 
from the Supreme Court. He is still in prison. And there are some some convictions throughout the U.S. that are being vacated based on this, but not in the circuit where he resides, which is very favorable to the prosecution that will find almost any excuse not to admit that the prosecution might have made an error. It's alarming because AAPS is one of the most well-equipped medical organizations to address the legal misconduct that takes place in healthcare. It's frustrating to many of the physicians, so I can imagine how frustrating it is to AAPS. Are there any strategies or options that physicians can use AAPS for or work with AAPS to help curtail some of this government misconduct? As I said, we have a limited legal consultation service, um, but but it is limited, and we have have intervened in lawsuits by filing amicus briefs. We have at least an action network that tries to stave off bad legislation, but a lot of times we we have to advise our physicians of, of the high risks that are involved in this type of practice and you know some of the precautions that you can take but when you're up against a government that is determined to score points against physicians and if, you know they feel virtuous if somehow they keep a doctor from writing a pain prescription um, you know we're, we're, we have very little power our constitutional rights have been basically shredded, you know, protection against illegal searches and seizures, the requirement that you get a trial before an unbiased tribunal with a jury that's properly instructed, that you get a prompt trial. And, I mean, these rights are just being obliterated. A few months ago, AAPS held a conference where they talk about the risk of PDMP. One physician, Dr. Lilly, talked about the unintended and intended consequences of PDMP. What was the outcome of that presentation? Did that help affect change among legislators, or is it still falling on deaf ears? Apparently, it's still falling on deaf ears. I mean, you can look at the numbers, you can crunch the numbers and find that if anything, the problem is worse than it was before you started, as well as the unintended consequences that that patients are suffering who could be treated, whose suffering could be relieved, but it is not because it appears that the government is, it looks like they're deliberately trying to control your life to the extent that you can't even get the medicine you need. It's difficult for people who may not understand what the government is doing outside of chronic pain patients, outside of primary care physicians, many would simply say, why don't you appeal to your legislator or file a formal complaint with your medical licensing board? Why are those remedies ineffective for physicians and chronic pain patients? Well, for one thing, these things take a lot of time, a huge amount of money. You're up against bureaucratic agencies that are have bottomless resources as far as fighting you 
and who are determined to fight you at every every state you know you can try to go to the legislature but it may take years to get a bill through the legislature that there are all types of of forces working against you um, a lot of there's been a lot of propaganda out there about bad doctors they're rich fat cats they make too much money and they're getting people addicted and um, this propaganda is persuasive So as a primary care physician who's prescribing opioids or indeed any controlled substance that's medically necessary, what can he or she do to protect himself or herself legally? Does the AAPS have resources or contacts that can help guide physicians in these circumstances? I would say we have a limited legal consultation service and we can provide some advice if you are if you are being attacked and there are some things that you can do like being careful not to talk to the investigator uh, being careful to uh, maybe to record things yourself because you can't rely on them to do this um, but like I say our ability to help is very limited and what a very large percentage of physicians are doing are just saying I cannot safely do this. I cannot put my whole practice, all of my patients, my family, my liberty at risk to do something that the government has made so dangerous. What will it take to change the conversation? Uh, we've seen legal cases. We've seen legal cases go to the Supreme Court. We've seen legal cases attract significant media attention. Nothing really seems to change. What do you think will require will be required of creating some change? Well, I mean, patient efforts have been have been attempted, but you know these patients who are affected by this are sick. They're in pain. Many of them are disabled. They don't have money. They're barely getting along. You know they can't. It's very hard for them to show up. Sometimes they will show up at legislative hearings or board hearings, but there there has not been a successful effort by patients or their advocates to bring this about. I think that there may be a tipping point at some point, and I think it may take just the right person or the wrong person to be affected by this who has sufficient clout. Um, but, you know, even Rush Limbaugh was in trouble because of alleged doctor shopping, because he was getting pain medicine, I think we did. I think we did make some sort of statement to help him, and he eventually. I mean, he managed to get through this, but if a person as influential as he was cannot bring about any substantial change, uh, we're really we're really in a, a very bad situation for doctors but particularly for patients because we can refuse to prescribe but the patients can't can't make their pain go away well said one question that comes to mind is why can't we file a class action lawsuit against the DEA what is preventing that from happening well 
I guess they have bottomless resources and we don't. Most class action lawsuits that we have heard about have had the result that the uh, plaintiffs get, you know, $15 or something and the lawyers get a real windfall. Um, so just saying a class action suit, it sounds like a really great idea, but in practice, I don't know of any that have really had the result of making patients whole and making huge changes in policy. If you had to put your policy hat on and look at one factor that can create immediate change, where would it be? Would it be at the state level, federal level, licensing board? Where would the most change that's beneficial to patients take place? Boy, that is a very good question because there, there are places where virtually all doctors who were treating pain patients were put out of business overnight and thousands of patients were just thrown away. And I wish I knew where to put my lever to try to influence this. If anybody out there has a brilliant idea, please let me know. Uh, in, in that vein, what I'd like to do in the time that we have remaining, can you let the listening audience know how they can get a hold of you or get a hold of AAPS in case they're interested in getting involved? Well, our website is aapsonline.org and our email address is aaps at aapsonline.org. So you can communicate with us by that means.